Hi, I'm Gary and this is episode 132 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today we'll be looking at Ford's Mark E. This season of the podcast is sponsored by ZapMap. Before we start, I wanted to say a big thank you to everyone who's read and reviewed my ebook. So, you've gone electric. I've just been in and checked some of the reviews, and they're all lovely and glowing, so thank you very much. As a reminder, there's now a second ebook out called So, You've Come Renewable, which covers the topic of buying and installing one or more of a solar array, batteries, and an air source heat pump. It's available for 99p on Amazon, and a link is in the show notes. Before we go any further, I wanted to let you know that some of the audio for the guest in today's episode has a couple of cloth sounds scattered through it due to presumably a very sensitive microphone on their end. I've tried to get rid of as much as possible, but please be aware of it. Our main topic of discussion today is the Mark E, and this is another instalment in our continuing series on electric vehicles you can buy today. We speak to owners who've owned and run them for a while and know the ins and outs of them. We're lucky today to be joined by Peter Plisner, who is a Mark E owner. Astute listeners of the podcast will recognise the name, as Peter was the man who initially put me in touch with Quentin Wilson and facilitated the discussion we had in the season opening episode. Welcome, Peter. Uh, Thank you, Gary. I have to say the uh, Quentin Wilson discussion was absolutely fascinating. Really enjoyed it. He's an excellent person to interview, really knows what he's talking about, and uh, he gives good interview, as they say, doesn't he? He certainly does. He certainly does. What's your EV story? How did you get into electric vehicles? Quite a long journey, actually, because uh, I'm a former BBC transport correspondent. And uh, many years ago, I did a piece uh, about um, the one charging point that had been installed in the West Midlands region, which, believe it or not, wasn't Birmingham, but in a tiny shopping centre in Stoke-on-Trent. And that started me thinking about uh, doing a a piece about... uh, electric cars and um, Mitsubishi lent me a, a Miev for uh, for a day although I have to say uh, it uh, had to be loaded from Stoke onto a low loader for more filming in Birmingham because the range wasn't particularly good which I, I thought was quite amusing and then uh, then the Midlands uh, became part of a sort of trial for electric cars under something called Connected Midlands I think and um mm-hmm. I drove uh, a smart EV, which uh, they were sort of being converted in the region as well. So I learned quite a bit about um, how they were changing normal smart cars into smart EVs. I also drove a, a Nissan Leaf as part of that uh, coverage of, of the Plugged in Midlands project. Um, later on, I drove an I-Pace. And um, by then, I decided that I wanted to go electric, but really was just waiting for, for the right time to go Fast forward a bit to 2020, my wife bought uh, through her work a um, an MG, the, uh, the the ZS, and yeah, really liked it. Really nice car, and um, that uh, reignited my interest in, uh, in electric cars. And soon after that, I test drove the uh, the Nero, which uh, again, lovely car. And after that, the Kona tested uh, a Tesla. But my interest sort of died away, partly because I was sort of worried about long journeys and I'd sort of decided I didn't want to go down the Tesla route. Uh, I think in October 2021, there were three reasons why I suddenly decided to go electric. One was I I really liked uh, my wife's MG. I liked the 
you know, the option of charging at home. Um, GridServe had taken over the electric highway, which, you know, was a big piece in the sort of long distance journey uh, jigsaw for, you know, non-Tesla owners, in my view. And the third thing was that my uh, VW Golf, which I'd owned for just over three years, had gone from about part exchange price from about £11,000 to nearly £16,000. And that's almost what I paid for it when I bought it new. So I thought, (laughs) maybe now's the time to go. And uh, the Mackie had just come out and I took my uh, stepson to a VW garage to test drive the uh, ID4. And then we test drove the Mackie on the same day. And well, we just like the Mackie more than we like the, um, uh, the ID4. So, um, so that's really the, the story. So which model did you end up getting? I went for the um, rear wheel drive extended range, which uh, has a battery size of 88 kilowatt hours. The reason I went for that model was I'd read a lot about um, the fact that uh, the rear wheel drive did give you the better range when compared to the all-wheel drive models. And um, I have to say, I've been really pleased with, with the range and it, it certainly gives me enough for most, if not all of my journeys. Let's talk range then. What did what did it say you should be getting as range with that particular battery pack? Um, I think according to EV database, they were talking about something like 410 if you were going round town in the summer mm-hmm. and sort of, I think it was as sort of low as sort of late 200s um, other times of year. So, but I'm getting uh, about 250, 280 on, on coldest days, um, 320 to 350 on the warmest days. I mean, the most I've had uh, is 378. Um, although I'm a bit, a little bit dubious about the, um, the gesso meter on the uh, the Mackie, although the more you drive, clearly the more it understands how you drive and sets sets the estimate mm-hmm. accordingly. And I haven't reset it. A lot of people reset it to to, to get their their maximum range. Uh, so I'm pretty pretty sure that's accurate. And I have done some journeys where I've been constantly watching, not constantly, but watching the mileage and the uh, the gesso meter, and, and they're not far off. So so actually, I think those are probably realistic ranges that I'm getting. Let's put this into um, perspective. When you had the Golf, what sort of range were you getting from a tank on that? Blimey. Uh, let's think probably, I mean, fuel was uh, to fill up was about, when I went electric, was about £60 to fill up, and I was probably getting about, I would say, 450 to 550 100 miles so yeah so it's not far off what i was getting with the golf and uh you know charging certainly at home is a lot cheaper so obviously you've got um a home charger and you're taking advantage of that yeah uh yeah i i first um well we first had one bizarrely installed for free because my wife works for the nhs and there was some deal at the time and we got a charger, I won't name names, but we got a charger installed, which I then later found that didn't do scheduled charging, which I was really disappointed about. So I then bought uh, an OMI cable, mm-hmm. which gave me everything I wanted in terms of uh, the, the scheduled charging because I'm on a, a low tariff overnight. Mm-hmm. And then um, fairly recently, I just decided to upgrade to um, to the Zappi. 
um, only because I'd read a lot about it and it interfaces with uh, with solar technology and I'm about to p- put solar panels on the roof. So I just decided now's the time to upgrade and the, uh, the government incentive for installing was coming to an end. So I thought... Yeah, I'll I'll install another one, and uh, been very happy with the with the Zappy so far. On the Golf, you had a certain range, and on the Marquee, you're you, I mean, it's not quite up there, but it has that taken away the range anxiety that you had before you originally bought the Marquee. Uh, yes, but clearly it hasn't taken away charge anxiety, which is another story altogether. But um, yeah, I think it has, and and as I say, that the grid serve. Um, Electric highway improvements has certainly changed the game as far as long journeys are concerned. But I have to say, I've noticed, uh, well, I've been relatively surprised by the proliferation of, of charges and certain networks are expanding so quickly that, uh, you know, had, had the grid serve upgrade not have happened, then I'd have probably been thinking about going electric around now because the, the network has expanded rapidly over the last few months. I think the number of operators like um, MFG, for example, who've taken the route of saying, right, we're going to identify 100 or so of our uh, biggest uh, petrol stations and we're going to put four, six, eight, 150 kilowatt charges in at those. I think that's uh, an excellent initiative. And I think that just about talks exactly to what you've been mentioning there, don't you? Yeah, no, I've been very impressed by MFG. I used uh, used a couple of theirs, um, one in Bristol, which, as I say, was co-located with a petrol station. And that, to me, is sort of, for the foreseeable future, the, the best way forward to, to integrate with, with petrol stations. It is, because I was having a discussion with somebody yesterday, and we were talking about uh, that whole bugbear of, well, you know, there aren't enough charges. And I said, well, there are 30,000 public charges in the UK and only 8,000 petrol stations. Yes, but where are the charges? And it's a very good point because people don't tend to be able to locate the charges unless they've got something like ZapMap on their phone. Exactly. Whereas if, if you co-locate them with petrol stations, it becomes a lot easier to identify where they are and, and, and find them, doesn't it? I agree. And, you know, there are other networks like Offspray, which are very good, but a lot of theirs are in pub car parks and they aren't as visible as they would be if they're in a, a petrol station forecourt. Indeed. Although having said uh, that it's a great place to to put them, uh, the time I plugged in my car in Bristol, um, there were quite a few ice cars parked and I did complain and they were, MFG were quite embarrassed that, that it was allowing it to happen. But uh, that's the other problem with being in a, in a busy location. Yes, I think the problem I found with an MFG when I I went to the Putney one just after it opened and the furthest bay on the MFG set up there had water and uh, air for the tyres. So obviously, if you're charging your EV, you can check the tyres and fill the water and things like that. But what they'd forgotten is that somebody who's driving a nice car will see that and they go, all right, I'm going to use that. So they've blocked the bay while they're using the the air and the uh, and the water so didn't quite you know hadn't quite done all the joined up thinking to uh, to get the best use out of that but uh, hopefully as they put more and more of these in they'll start to think a little bit more about that i guess these things are evolving i mean the other thing about the mfg's uh, sites is the majority of them are covered which i think is 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 really really well thought out because uh, you know you you're covered when you fill up with petrol but most uh, most charging points you've got to put your coat on if it's raining 
Well, yeah. And the other thing, I mean, I've spoken to some of the charge point operators about this and they deny it. But to my mind, if you've got a charger that's out in the elements and it's getting rained on constantly, that's got to contribute to some of the issues that we've had with reliability, especially with the, is it the Pater credit card units? Because the connection between them and the inside of the unit, I believe, is is not leak proof. So that's I think would account for some of the issues that we've had with credit card readers on uh, on chargers. And if you've done something simple like put a canopy over it, you've immediately reduced that uh, that liability pretty much a hundred percent. Absolutely. Though I have to say, a lot of the units do seem, in my view, quite well sealed from the elements. I mean. Uh, I suppose it depends how sophisticated they are. I mean, we've got um, units where I live in Birmingham that are put in by ESB, which don't actually have any screen. It's literally just a a card contact and you're charging. And uh, the number of times I've got to a unit and found that the screen's not working or or something like that just leads me to think that you know, some of these machines are a bit too sophisticated and the more sophisticated, I guess, you get, the more exposed they might be to the elements. Let's bring you back to your uh, fantastic car, though. What's the longest journey you've done in it so far? Um, probably to Scarborough and Whitby a few weekends ago. I think that was a distance of, uh, let me see, about 190 miles. So clearly I knew I'd had to char- have to charge somewhere. And uh, it's a bit of a wasteland up there yes. on that coast, I've noticed. But I did find a decent charger at a little in Scarborough. There was also uh, also one at an oldie supermarket in Whitby, but although that was only seven kilowatts, so uh, I wasn't really keen on sitting in the car park for too long. <laughs> the other long journeys I've done, uh, Bournemouth, went down to see my daughter a while back, uh, and now there, probably with sensible driving, I may have been able to get there and back. Well, it was sort of colder, so I might not have been able to get there and back on one charge. But um, uh, again, I was really surprised by how many charges. I, mean, I stayed in a hotel outside Bournemouth and within probably walking distance, there were about five different charges I could have used. In the end, I went for for one of the new Mer chargers in nearby Wimborne, where I was having dinner with my daughter, and it was fantastic. I just plugged it in, went off for a, for a bite to eat. When I came back, it uh, it was back up to, I think, 112 miles. Um, uh, sorry, 312 miles, so uh, got a good charge there. The only other sort of longest journey I've done was to London and back, where I probably could have done it in one charge, but... Part of the reason I went down there was to have a look at the new uh, the new Shell station in, in Fulham and was sort of blown away by by that as a as a as a complete conversion of a petrol station to an EV station and uh, so uh, so I did did uh, have a quick opportunity charge uh, at that at that station even though I probably could have got back without charging as you say fantastic site uh, very well thought out a little bit on the pricey side for me especially now they've bumped the prices up a little bit. But, yeah. you know, the charges are fast, they're reliable, and they've got covers, canopies, which... Absolutely. And it's a really nice facility as well with, with a, a small shop and a cafe, and you know, I really liked it. And as a sort of shape of things to come, clearly we're not going to see those everywhere um, in the near term because they're expensive, but as a the shape of things to come, clearly that's where we're heading. There's a reduced number of petrol pumps. The, yeah, there are 
I was chatting with um, one of the CPOs about this who who comes from the oil background and he said uh, they'd like to do it but there are a lot of safety issues because obviously you've got tanks under there that need to be removed because you don't want any uh, residual petrol or fumes in there when you've got high voltage cables that uh, that are going through there so the safety issues slow things down and, and bump the cost up but again coming back to what we said a few minutes ago it becomes visible because people can identify that that is a specific location with the totem outside that says you know shell recharge and i don't know whether you noticed it's actually got the the little display that tells you how many charges are available at any given time yes, so you I know did. before you go in and just so well thought out it's fantastic absolutely no i was really really impressed by that and say i've sort of made a special journey to london just to uh <laughs> just to go and charge there, which seems a bit odd, but I was going to see one of my daughters as well. So so are you getting to the stage now where you're comfortable with the range and you don't feel any sort of concern or stress or anxiety when you know you've got a, ch- uh, a journey to do, which will take you beyond the quite impressive range that you've got already? I think I'm at that stage, definitely. Although I probably, probably to my wife... I maybe over plan things when we do long trips because, uh, you know, we uh, we do occasionally do long trips and uh, I'm always on there looking at ZapMap and other other facilities just to see where the nearest charges are. And um, I take your advice and plan one charger and have a backup just in case I'm in the middle of planning a trip to Liverpool in a few weeks time and I've already searched out where the charges are. But uh, in terms of sort of range anxiety, I don't have it at all because I know I know my um, estimation on the dashboard is fairly accurate, so I know really where I'm at any point in terms of uh, need to charge and whether I can get home on one charge. Let's talk about charge speeds. I think I'm just having a quick look at the EV database here. It reckons you should get about 109 kilowatts tops and an average of about 78. Does that sort of match your real-life experience? I can't really comment on that because I've not used a charger that is over 50, I'm afraid to say, partly because I haven't encountered one and two, I guess, because I do a lot of my charging at home Mm -hmm. um, because it's so much cheaper. I don't have to use the rapid chargers. And if I'm going to use a rapid charger, I'll probably go for a cheaper one that you know, gives me a say a fifty kilowatt charge, and I'm happy to sit around. To, you know, as a as a writer, I I tend to sort of have my laptop with me, and I'm quite happy to sit in the car and write as I'm waiting for the car to charge. So, ultra rapid, I'm not a customer. I don't think really. Although, uh, if one, I've been meaning to try the Ionity chargers um, for a while, but just it's a bit bit of a sparse network in, in my part of the world so i haven't really been able to try one but that's probably the reason i would do it just to see actually how fast it does charge but um but generally i've been happy with with uh, with the charging that i've done but as i say i would i would say i've probably not gone much above above 50 well obviously i mean you say you're you're birmingham are you north south east west birmingham what I'm in South Birmingham. South Birmingham. So obviously not too far down the M40 uh well worth the trip down to Banbury to try the the new Instavolts down there and the Kempower Osprey ones. And they'll give you the the little display so you can actually see what your charge curve is. And uh, obviously down the M6, you've got the grid serve at Rugby. I haven't been there, I'm afraid to say. I've been <gasps> meaning to go, but I uh, just haven't got there as yet. But um, I've, I've 
parked and, and used the facilities at Beaconsfield uh, a couple of times and, and not used the Ionity chargers at that point, which mm. partly because my car was uh, sort of near 80%. So I haven't really had the opportunity yet. But uh, but yeah, the, I've heard good things about the rugby facility and the Banbury facility. So you're right, I must charge them, charge up there at some point. One thing I, I would like to raise about charges, and I did uh, have a chat with someone at, uh, at Swaco fairly recently. I was doing an interview at a show with someone and uh, they certainly agreed that it was an issue. Um, if you're like me driving a company car, you will want a VAT receipt. And while it's fantastic that you can go up to most charges, place your card on the reader and it uh, charges your car. If you want a VAT receipt, it's a lot more complicated. And you and I have always been critical of all these apps and cards and been really pleased to see how um, how you know tap and go really works. But of course, if you want VAT receipt, unfortunately, with most networks, you're back to needing an app or a card because they need to know who you are. And and clearly, uh, clearly, that's the only way of generating a VAT receipt. Funny enough, when I filled up at the Fulham uh, station, I had to email Shell to get a VAT receipt from them, which uh, was quite a long and convoluted process. Wow. Interestingly. I've been quite impressed again by GridServe because if you charge up at a Grid GridServe charger with your card, they have it's almost a secret website, but uh, they have a specific website where you put the last four digits of your card, the card that you use to charge up, mm-hmm. and miraculously it gives you a VAT receipt, which I'm really impressed by, and I don't see why others can't do the same because that would then alleviate the need for the various cards that I hold and, and various apps that I use to, to charge up. So five stars for GridServe on that one. Yeah, it's it's one of those where, again, there's no consistent way of doing it because, you, as you say, GridServe do it one way. I've just looked up Instavault while we've been charging. They've got a page on their website where you've got to fill in a number of bits of information and then email it off and they'll send back the VAT receipt to you. And I think Osprey do it a different way. Well, I mean, the easiest way is just to have an account, which is what I have with, with Offspray and, and Instavolt, and I literally can look it up yeah. at any point. So, um, but yeah, I think that needs some some work because there are clearly going to be more and more company cars and they will require evidence that they've uh, charged the cars. Yeah. Um, so you've then got the dichotomy of do we have the swipe and go on contactless, which is what everybody wants because that's how you do petrol, or do we want the convenience of being able to instantly do a VAT receipt, which means you'll need an app or uh, an account. So, you know, that's that's a battle somebody's going to have to uh, fight at some point in the future, isn't it? I guess, yeah. The specific vehicle that you've got, what what do you like about it that you didn't think you'd like about it? There are certain sort of boring things that are, are not EV related that I like. Like, for instance, when uh, when the radio's on and the sat-nav makes an announcement, I have individual volumes on on both. And I, that was always a bit of a bug bite with me with previous cars that, you know, if one just happened to be louder than the other, you didn't get the chance to turn it down. I mean, it, it's a really boring thing, but it's just attention to detail, which, which I've found is... Uh, is uh, quite good in that respect. Um, I suppose because I'd not driven a sort of a large SUV electric like 
that one I was certainly more surprised about the responsiveness of it I mean I clearly knew that uh, the electric cars were had really good acceleration compared to uh, to ice cars but I was quite surprised uh, by exactly how much uh, sort of responsiveness I got when I first tried it so uh, so yeah but um, I wasn't entirely convinced about one pedal driving but I've been blown away a bit by it because uh, it uh, it is a great way of driving and I know it was sort of first introduced on on the leaf a few years ago but um, I was a little bit skeptical about it but really like it really like it having it on all the time is it is it true one pedal will it go right down to stationary or do you have to put a bit of brake in there as well depends how fast you're going I guess Gary <laughs> but uh, um, yeah I mean if you gauge it right it will bring you to a standstill and the other thing I like is connected to that is um, you can set your adaptive cruise control and that will bring you to a stop and I'm pretty sure it uses only regenerative braking to bring you to a stop and then if traffic starts again it starts up without you needing to do anything which i've uh, not experienced before in previous cars even though i've had adaptive cruise control as i said earlier i like my gadgets and um, the the lane assist i've always uh, i think i bought it as an optional extra on my last car but um, it came clearly with the uh, the mac e and i find that a really good system as well and it's um having seen the announcement a few weeks ago where the government seems to be going to allow people to to watch i think it was watch movies while while you're in slow traffic on a motorway the uh, the mackey will certainly allow you to do that not that i want to do it but uh, but the mackey will certainly allow that because it does have this system where it will slow down stop start again without any interaction and of course it steers itself as well the lane keeping assist i know i've tried a couple of different vehicles that have that and they tend to fall into two sort of camps as the ones that sort of ping pong ping pong back and forth between the white lines which are not necessarily that good and then there's the ones yeah. where they actually recognize where the white lines are and where you are in relation to it and physically steer to keep you know keep pretty much center lane. yeah is that Most the cars seem, yeah seem to have both uh Mackey has both but uh but i really like the the lane well, i think they call it lane assist where it does keep you in the middle of the lane and uh probably i would say i've had uh, well, experience three or four cars with that system, and uh, I would have to say the Mackie is probably the best I've had. So, what niggles you about it? What makes you go, oh, "Why did they do that?" Or uh, there, there are a few things. I mean, clearly they weren't deal breakers, but um, just maybe a bit more thought. And and some of these things maybe maybe sorted with a software update, um, I guess. But. Um, there's no real indication about how efficiently you're driving. I love the Nissan Leaf where it sort of built you a, I think from memory, it built you a tree uh, depending on how how economically you were driving, which I just love. I mean, the whole concept of building this tree on your dashboard, I really love. But the Mackie, from what I can see, doesn't seem to have any kind of uh, indication of how economically you're driving. My wife's MG has almost like a a rev counter that sort of shows you different bands charging then efficient driving and sort of non-efficient driving and just it's really useful to to just see how well you're doing and, and the the Mackie doesn't seem to have that I mean to say it could be delivered with a, so- a software upgrade at some point but it's missing at the moment there are just one or two I mean I, I part of the reason I went for the Mackie and Part of the reason I like the Tesla was was the screen, but there are some controls like 
putting the heating on or, or air conditioning, which do require a bit more sort of button pushing, even though it's not a not a button pushing thing, it's a screen. But that's another thing that's that's um, concerned me a little bit, that the, the heating controls are a bit complicated in terms of take, perhaps taking your eyes off the road. So you have to be very careful. I suppose the only other thing would be the they have these driving modes, whisper, active and untamed. And uh, I have no idea what they do. And I have no idea whether any of these driving modes are more or less economical. The descriptions that come with them just seem very ambiguous. And all I can see when I press different modes is sort of different lights come on the dashboard. And in untamed mode, I get the sound of a, of a Mustang, which is nice, but I'd like to know really what these modes do and and whether you know whisper mode is the most economical, whether untamed is the most uneconomical. But I can't seem to find find any detail on that. Is there nothing anywhere on the system which, uh, when you stop driving, will give you some indication of how efficient you've driven that last journey that you've done? There is a a part of the um, the screen that you can bring up that shows you how much different bits of the car are using as you're going along like for instance how much is down to the the movement of the car how much is down to using the radio and things and how much is down to using air conditioning Mm -hmm. but that's the only thing i can see that's not really telling you how efficiently you're driving at any one point as i say the nissan leaf had it absolutely right because you were getting this this visual reminder of how how economically you're driving what is your view on the big circular manual knob at the bottom of the uh, screen? I like it. Yeah. yeah. It's um I mean you can control the sound clearly, you know, on the steering wheel on on steering column, but I do like the ability to be able to very quickly turn the sound up and down and as I was saying about the my boring thing about being able to turn the volume down on and up on different functions like the sat nav or, or the radio that's how you how you do it and it's it's very quick and easy to do so yeah i like that good i heard somewhere that that's not that's not a physical ma- uh, hard ki- hardware connection what it actually does is it's the the sensors in the back of it that are actually interacting with the screen itself so you know if that wasn't there you could do the same thing just by rotating your finger around on the screen underneath yeah i think you're right gary i I think it is some kind of software related thing rather than a a physical thing going into into the the hardware itself so but um, it, it certainly feels like it's it's doing the same thing regardless of whether it's software or hardware but that's absolutely fine, isn't it? Uh, you're you're okay with the portrait version of the screen rather than because a lot of vehicles now have the the landscape screen in there. Yeah, I like the portrait. I mean, I've driven the the Tesla Model Three, which I think has the landscape as the screen landscape. Yeah. But um, but yeah, no, I, I do quite like it. I mean, there's there's some some parts where the screens sort of a bit blank because it's uh, in portrait. But, um, you know, when I'm using things like CarPlay, it sort of fills the screen and uh, there's space for, for other things to be shown as well, which uh, I think is important as well. Is there an app for the Marquee? There is, yeah. The Ford uh, Ford have a general app, which I think is adapted to different models. It tells me what I need to know, like um, how much charge I've got and when I'm charging the car and I go away from the car, I can, I can see how much uh, I can see it's charging and how much it's um, got, how much it's charged. It does allow you to lock and unlock the car. 
I've read, I mean, I've found it works most of the time, but I've read some users saying it's a little bit flaky sometimes, but uh, I mean, it's quite a nice feature and it gives you an alternative to the key. Um, uh, the app also has, does give you some feedback on your journey in terms of how you drove, but not not in economical terms. It only seems to really tell me from what I've seen, it only seems to tell me how I've cornered. It just gives me advice on whether I, I turned the corner. Interesting. Well, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, that Ford are, are taking that away because it, it clearly uh, maybe doesn't work as well as perhaps they originally planned. Uh, I had an email saying that some things were disappearing from the app. The app also contains a map of charges that are within the Ford Oval Network, which is a special network that gives, in some cases, reduced prices at, at, within some networks. Mm-hmm. So that's quite useful. Um, i trying to think what else the app does. I think it's probably about all I use it for. Um, okay. And how are you with the charge port location? I believe it's uh, on the side just behind the front uh, wheel, isn't it? Yes, yeah, front front passenger side, yeah, behind the wheel. Works most of the time. Some charging cables are verging on the short side, which means you have to probably park closer to the charger than you normally would do. My home charging is fine because the uh, the Zappy comes with a six-meter cable. So yeah. wherever, uh, wherever I park in my drive, we have two cars. I can usually get, uh, I can get to uh, get to the charge point which is good if it had been a tesla i think i'd have struggled about would have had to reverse the car in um, interestingly i've used the uh, the tesla charger in birmingham which is one of these chargers or charging sites that's um that's available to all cars yeah. uh, use that yesterday funny enough and um i think for some reason that site only has each stall only has one cable and i've noticed that other sites have two cables with each stall if it had two cables with each stall, I think uh, if it was busy, I'd, I'd probably struggle because on one side of the so there's two spaces sort of with the uh, the stall in the middle. Yeah. Most uh, Tesla Tesla supercharging, I think I would not be able to charge up if I was on the left hand parking space, but on the right hand parking space. It did work, although I got out of the car, got the charger and found that it didn't quite stretch. So I had to get back in the car and move it forward again. I mean, that that's the only thing with, with putting the charge point there. I find that the cable that's supplied can be a bit on the short side. I've, I've never not been able to charge with it. So uh, okay. that's not a major issue. Okay. I think Tesla, I love the fact that they've opened up their network even in a limited way uh, i think it's it's good for adoption overall but there are going to be issues with cable lengths with charger locations there's already people who are kicking off about the fact that you know if you've got an id3 and you reverse in you can't use the unit that's attached to or that's nominally attached to the bay that you're in you've got to use the one that's for the next bay which means that somebody else can't use that one so you're effectively taking up two two bays and it's it's not ideal but there's not a lot we can do at the moment. Yeah, it's the same with the Mackie. One of the bays you cannot use because the cable will not stretch that far. Yeah. So um, it's good good to see uh, non-Tesla drivers being able to use the uh, the Tesla chargers, or yeah. certainly as a non-Tesla driver, I would say that, wouldn't I? But um, I suspect there's a fair few Tesla drivers who don't want the networks opened up, but it's only a limited uh, thing at the moment. 
uh, I hope they put more on, mm-hmm. but uh, but I can see a reason why you wouldn't want to open up uh, the busiest Tesla sites because you know it's it's a it's a great selling point for for a car, and it was certainly a selling point for me when I was test driving the Teslas. Well, absolutely, and you know to be fair, I, I've got a good friend of mine who I persuaded him to get a Model Three. Uh, he absolutely loves it, and he's totally in favour of opening up the uh, superchargers because he understands the bigger picture of raising the whole profile of electric vehicles and, and making it easy for everyone to charge yeah. rather than just being sort of siloed in the uh, in the Tesla walled garden, as they say. I mean, there's still it's still a, a great way of charging. Just turn up, plug in your car, and it recognises the car. I mean, I hope all charging will be like that, you know, one day. But yeah. you clearly have to get the Tesla app and... and, uh, and um, uh, reserve your your bay uh, but i found it quite simple i have to say um, probably in a way one of the simplest app-based charging procedures i've come across so you know I, again five stars for tesla for that because um, uh, some apps are quite complicated as you probably know <laughs> oh yes uh I read recently that Ford have put out a recall for unintended acceleration on the marquee. Are you, are you aware of that? No, I haven't seen that. There's been a recall for uh, windscreens and panoramic roof. Uh, my car was not part of the recall because it was manufactured after they'd clearly uh, looked at the uh, the problem. But no, I was not aware of that. And I certainly had no issues in that respect. I mean, I had a few niggling little issues about they've provided a, a charge pad a wireless charge pad for for my um, smartphone and it hasn't just doesn't work very well and i've had it replaced and it still doesn't work very well and, and it could be the phone but i've tried other phones and it seems to do the same thing but but uh, so there are little niggling things but you know this is ford's first electric car so um uh, i didn't go into it expecting everything to be perfect i have to say um you know, other manufacturers have got a lot more experience so um but no i haven't heard of the acceleration problem i'll uh <laughs> keep an eye on that yeah it was just something i picked up just in passing i didn't read the details i don't know whether it's as you say certain models uh you know whether whether when they've been made or, or that but it was just something i i picked up i thought i'd just ask you the question and see whether you'd heard about it but uh if not fair enough do you do you regret buying the marquee? Are you happy that you that you went for it? No, not at all. And in fact, um, I was waiting to see what the Tesla Model Y would be like because I decided I wanted an SUV. And I had ordered my Mackie before the Model Y came out because I just, I mean, I had no idea. And Tesla couldn't give me any idea of when it was coming out in the UK or that clearly it uh, been out in the states for a while and i so i ordered my mackie and uh, i think about three months later the the model y early order came out now I, i'm uh, i'm really pleased i did to be honest because uh, if i'd have waited for the tesla model y i'd have been a bit disappointed because it was more expensive than i expected it to be and certainly more expensive than my mackie and i think the other thing that surprised me a little that that the driving position was um not much higher than than the model three and, and i mean i don't know what classes a car as an suv these days but um a higher driving position would certainly be high on my list and and um unless i'm wrong i don't think you get that with the uh, the model y so so yeah when the model y 
did come out and I read read the specs, so I was even more happy that I'd chosen the right car. Do you ever look at the Polestar? I never drove it. I'm very much a driver who not only likes how a car drives, but likes the look of it. And I felt that although people have been raving about the Polestar, I just felt that it was a little bit, for me, and I have to say this is my own view, was a little bit boxy in the same way as the uh, the ID four was, mm-hmm. just like the styling of of the Mackie. I mean, perhaps that's the Mustang in it. I don't know, but um, I just, just, I mean, I've never never walked up to a car as much as I walk up to the Mackie and think, oh, fantastic, you know. And you know, I've had a lot of cars, and um, that one really wows me every time I walk up to it. And I mean, obviously, this is a, a what if question, and we don't know what's going to happen in the next three, four years or whatever, but can you see yourself buying another one or would you be looking for what's the next thing that sort of turns your eye in terms of, uh, you know, the appearance and, and the things that you've just talked about? I think I probably would at the moment, looking at other cars on the market. Yeah, I think I probably would go for another Mackie. And what would you like in that Mackie that isn't in the one that you've got now? Would you like sort of faster charging, bigger battery, or what? The ability to tow? Yeah, two out of three. Certainly bigger batteries give bigger range. And yes, I would like to be able to tow as an option for the future. Um, But I don't have any requirement at the moment, although I have got to get a tow bar fitted because I've got um, one of these cycle racks that sits on the tow bar. But oh, yeah. at the moment, it is very expensive to get, get a tow bar fitted on the Mackie. So I'm just delaying that for a, for a while. But um, it's not a showstopper. But um, but yeah, I think uh, that those probably would be high on my list. If, um, if um, I'm saying to Ford, if you want my custom, then this is what you've got to do to, to keep me. But I mean, they'll be coming out with, with other... I mean, I'm surprised in a way that they still only have the one, the one all electric car, um, and it'd be nice to see others. Yeah, I mean, obviously they've got the Ford F one fifty van out in the states, which apparently is doing really, really well from a sales point of view. But uh, mm. I doubt we're going to see many of those over here. No, you're probably right there. I have to say that is one of the things that surprised me about the Mackie. I'm sort of regularly getting, uh, averaging about three point seven to three point nine uh, miles per kilowatt, which is, which is better than i expected i have to say for a big car i mean i do i'm quite a careful driver and i go 65 on the motorway never go very rarely go above 70 um well certainly i have to say i found found it a very relaxing drive at 65 on a motorway i mean i hope i'm not getting in the in the way of other traffic um clearly i'm mixing in with the lorries in lane one but uh I do find it a very pleasing drive when I'm doing long drives, and it may take a little bit longer, but it's much more relaxing than uh, than going 70, I have to say. And uh, and just going on on things like stopping for a charge. I mean, this you know, as you've dealt with in in your podcast in the past, you know, people are criticising having to stop for long periods instead of just filling up your car with petrol. I really find it relaxing stopping for say half an hour three quarters of an hour might have a little nap might have a little wander i mean if, if they're in supermarkets you can do a bit of shopping i just i just find that almost, almost it wasn't what i was expecting and i bought a little gadget to be able to watch things like netflix or or um you know bbc iplayer in my car while i was charging and to this point i haven't actually used it because <laughs> i found those 
stopping off for charging is I've invariably done something that uh, that makes it you know more of a, a pleasurable experience uh, rather than just sitting around watching that that uh, charge rate go up. And, and as you say, with you being uh, a writer, you can take advantage of. Uh, you get the laptops and you know work for twenty twenty five minutes while you're waiting, and you, you've you've yeah. effectively killed two birds with one stone there, haven't you? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, but it is it is a different mindset, and I've listened to you talking about that in your podcast in the past before I went electric, and you know you have just got to think differently. And whenever someone talks to me about going electric and all the what they see as the pitfalls, you know, I, I do say to them, you know, you've just got to forget about what you've you know what you're used to and take on a new sort of technology and new ways of of driving and uh, it is true it is true and i've certainly not felt in any way that going electric uh you know has brought me any downsides e- even the slightly longer journey time because i'm driving at 65 miles an hour that that doesn't bother me at all and i thought it would but it doesn't and at the end of the day the time difference between doing a couple of hundred miles at 70 and a couple of hundred miles at 60 it's not that big, is it? No, exactly, exactly. And of course, you know, the other thing which uh, one of my friends who's got the ID3 uh, said, uh, I think he, he used the phrase in terms of, you know, charging and stopping for charging. Um, I think he said, my bladder will uh, will give out before the battery does. So, uh, you know, you've got to stop to use the facilities. And while you're using facilities, you, uh, <laughs> you charge your car. There you go. It's a parallel activity. It's not a serial activity. You can do more than one thing at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a- Ladder anxiety, not range anxiety. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> right. We're about at the end of our uh, time. I'd just like to ask you um, my king for a day question, which I like to ask uh, everybody who comes on here. If you were king for a day, what one thing would you do to facilitate the uptake of electric vehicles in this country? Well, I would probably um, put a lot of funding into research for dynamic charging, particularly on motorways and major trunk roads, because that, I think, has got to happen. And, you know, not just for for uh, us motorists who like poodling along, but also for, you know, other traffic, perhaps goods traffic, who, who clearly will need some kind of, of charge and charging on the move will provide, you know, a good uh, alternative to stopping and plugging in. So, yeah, I'd probably put more funding into uh, dynamic charging. There, there is there is research going on in various places, and it looks quite impressive. Um, so that probably would be what I'd, uh, what I'd plump for if I was king for a day. Peter, thank you very much for your time. I do appreciate it. And um, thanks for coming on. You're welcome. My thanks to Peter for coming on and chatting about his Mark E. Seems like he's very happy with it, which is great. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with you listeners. A grandmother in New Zealand found herself mad at oil companies charging high petrol prices. And one day, she decided she'd had it enough, giving them all her money. So she worked with a friend to build her own electric vehicle. Rosemary Penwarden started with a 1993 Honda Civic from a scrapyard and with the help of an electrician friend replaced the engine and powertrain with batteries and a motor. It cost 15,000 New Zealand dollars which is quite expensive for what she did but her aim was to get off oil without having to buy a really expensive EV and that's something she accomplished. It was very time consuming and time is money but Rosemary and her friend who's done at least seven other cars like this did this to make a point about recycling 
and the adoption of electric vehicles. She thinks that most people will probably want to just buy an EV, but that doing conversions on larger commercial trucks that run around town could be not only financially viable, but also better for the environment. Bravo, Rosemary. The EV Museums podcast is sponsored by ZapMap. ZapMap is the go-to app for EV drives in the UK. Use it to search for available chargers, plan electric journeys, pay for charging on participating networks, and share updates with other drivers. ZapMap is free to download and use with subscription plans for enhanced features such as using ZapMap in car, on CarPlay, or Android Auto. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at MusingsEV. If you want to support the podcast and newsletter, please consider contributing to become an EV Musings patron. The link's in the show notes. Don't want to sign up for something on a monthly basis? If you enjoyed this episode, why not buy me a coffee? Go to coffee.com slash evmusings and you can do just that. ko-fi.com slash evmusings. If you want a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So You've Gone Electric. It's available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. Please do check it out. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. If you've reached this part of the podcast and are still listening, thank you. Why not let me know you've got to this point by tweeting me at MusingsEV with the words Travelling at Mark E. Captain. Hashtag, if you know, you know. Nothing else. Thanks as always to my co-founder Simon. You know with the viruses currently going around, he's thinking of upgrading his home medical devices with the latest version of a pulse oximeter, a pulse oximeter, a BP monitor and the machine that goes bing. They're really expensive, I said, but that wasn't a problem for him. Uh, yeah, I, I first, um, well, we first had one, bizarrely, installed for free because my wife works for the NHS and there was some deal at the time. Thanks for listening. Bye.